Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hi there, and welcome to Grief is My Superpower. I'm Mark Lemon, award-winning children's author, bereavement ambassador, and your host for this podcast. Each week, I'll be interviewing incredible people that get open and honest about their own experience with grief. When I was 12 years old, my dad was murdered, and my life changed forever. I try to explore with my guests if it's possible to live a happy and fulfilled life after the death of a loved one. You can find me as Mark Lemon Official on Instagram and at the Lemon Drop Books website. For this episode, I speak with journalist, editor and author, Gavandra Hodge. Gavandra speaks to me about the death of her sister and how it shaped her outlook on life. You can find Gavandra on Instagram as Gavandra. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment wherever you're listening to this podcast. By doing this, it will help us to reach more people in need of support at a tough time. This podcast is in support of children's bereavement charity, Winston's Wish. Okay, so as mentioned in my introduction, today I'm speaking with someone that I recently discovered through social media and is actually someone who... Once I read their story, I had to get them on the podcast because they've just written an incredible book and and it's Gavandra Hodge. How are you? Hello, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm not too bad. And like we just said off mic, as we normally do, there's all these things that we're having to navigate before we uh, actually press record, but um, that's life, isn't it? Yes, it's August, school holidays, rain, yeah. <laughs> all sorts of things. And so for the listeners, would you be happy to just introduce yourself and who you are and all that lovely stuff, please? Um, Sure. So my name is Gavandra Hodge. I'm a writer, a journalist, um, and I have just published a book. Well, I published it last year in hardback and it's just come out in paperback. It's called The Consequences of Love. And it's a memoir about my childhood and my adulthood. And it's about grief um, appropriately. So when I was 14 years old, my nine-year-old sister, Candy, died in a hotel room in Tunisia in my father's arms while I was watching, uh, which, as I'm sure you can all imagine, was an incredibly traumatic and overwhelming thing to watch and try and process. And I didn't process it. I sort of stood in the room numbly observing this horror unfolding. And um, subsequent to that 
our lives as a family completely imploded. My father, prior to this, had been a heroin addict and a drug dealer. My mother had been an alcoholic. But so my early childhood had been very um, chaotic. And they had both got clean by the time I was about nine, ten, and my sister was about six. So we had gone through this period of life being relatively normal. And then my sister dying just fractured our entire universe. And my dad immediately started drinking again. The first thing he did after my sister died, the next day in a hotel room in Tunisia, he found a whole bottle of whiskey and drank the entire thing and passed out on the bed. Whereas my mum remained sober and uh, sort of went and sat by a cliff and looked out to the sea and tried to sort of get a grip of what had happened to them. And I sort of didn't know which way to go, really. I didn't know whether to obliterate myself like my father or engage with the grief like my mother and ultimately I chose my father's path and um, had a very sort of wild few years with him because he started taking drugs again very quickly and he would give me drugs and we sort of obliterated our pain in this sort of whirlwind of drugs and alcohol and partying in London and my mm-hmm. dad ended up leaving my mum for a girl who was at school with me and it was all very chaotic and mad and it felt like my feet didn't touch the ground so I didn't have a chance to grieve at all but the end result of this was that by the you know I I sort of sorted my life out a bit I went to university I got a job and I tried to put this this awful terrible past behind me and almost forget it hadn't happened and the the subsequent the the result of that was that by the time I was an adult with two young daughters of my own I realized I had absolutely no memory of Candy at all I couldn't remember how she spoke how she how it felt to hug her anything and I felt deeply sad I felt like I'd lost her twice once in the room in Tunisia and a second time through my own forgetting of her and it felt like a great tragedy that I'd sort of done that so the book is really an attempt to try and find her by going through different grief processes to try and sort of to find a memory of her at the other side of that so so that's my story really and also my father then died 12 years ago also very suddenly I mean but he'd lived a very sort of exotic shall we say life um and died after a night of parting but he died suddenly in the night unexpectedly so again that way of it's very hard to grieve when you're in a state of shock um and to sort of to learn how to then slow yourself down and engage with what's happened when you're numb uh so it was it's sort of it's a kind of a learning process for me the book as well Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Yeah, wow. That's, that's quite a lot, isn't it, in the space? Yeah, sorry, yeah, it's really, it's really hard. And that was also another reason why I wrote the book, because I, I never really spoke to people about it for years and years and years, because it was almost like so much had happened to me. How do you tell people? How, if you sit down at a dinner party and meet someone for the first time, they say, oh, you know, 
what was what was your childhood like and you know do you have any sisters you're like god where do I begin like how do I tell people this story about them sort of their jaws dropping open and they suddenly they've turned off their salmon uh so you kind of (laughs) you just don't tell people and I kind of wanted to find ways of talking about it that kind of made sense because also it was so complicated and confusing I wanted to make sense of it for myself and also to talk about it and not pretend that I wasn't the person that I am you know not to pretend that I was just this sort of shiny successful person who didn't have this sort of dark and and sad background I guess yeah that's I mean I can relate to that on quite a few levels but in terms of yeah just not not finding that space to talk about this tragic thing that's happened to you and like you say it's it's not a dinner party conversation um and I myself I I sort of did everything that I could not to talk about it because you know like you say it's sort of it's not it's a really difficult thing to approach you know it's not um you know it's not cancer or old age you know and um so how did you deal with those sort of early years in terms of you just didn't talk about it at all or eventually did you find the space to to speak to someone professional or was it just the book was literally your way of unpacking that trauma um well I mean interestingly when we talk about talking about grief and and young people so the after my sister died it was in the Easter holidays I was 14 years old I was at a very nice girls school in um, Hammersmith and came back from the holidays and my mum spoke to the headmistress and she said well Gavandra can come back to school one day late so I can tell everybody what's happened so in the assembly when I wasn't there the announcement was made that my sister had died suddenly on holiday and that everyone had to be really nice to me and I and I knew this was happening and it kind of freaked me out I was like what are they going to say and then I turned up at school the next day thinking what are people going to say to me what am I going to say and no one said anything about candy no one mentioned it everyone pretended it hadn't happened now as young people we're very adaptive very fast we're like okay I understand from the way that people are behaving with me that no one wants me to talk about this everyone wants me to pretend that nothing has happened but in order for me to pretend that nothing has happened I have to pretend that candy never existed um so that was what I very quickly learned and meanwhile you know I'd be walking down the street down the King's Road with my mum my mum in floods of tears and her friends who knew her would cross the street so as not to have to speak to her because everyone found this grief and this thing that had happened so horrific that no one wanted to engage with it so you're like okay so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about it if no one wants to talk to me about it so as a as a young person, I did not deal with this at all. And I did not speak to anyone professionally until I was about 36, which yeah. is mad if you consider, oh, maybe even older, no, like 38, I can't even remember, which is mad when you can consider the, the things that I went through. But, and I had started trying to write about candy and write about my childhood before seeking professional help and that was also a mistake so I decided I, I had this realization that I couldn't remember my sister so I thought I'm going to try and write my way to candy as a writer all my life it's been the way that I kind of self-regulate um, and it's always sort of given me solace and I thought that I'll find her if I write about her but I started writing and because I'd never really unpacked all this stuff I felt I went a bit mad. I was writing. I was waking up at 5 a.m. I had two small children. I was editing a magazine, waking up at 5 a.m. and exploring this dark, sad, overwhelming 
emotions and then I just felt like I was going mad uh, so after about six months I, like, I realized I was being a bit silly so I took myself to a lovely therapist who was just wonderful and I did a lot of work with her did a lot of EMDR which I'm sure you know about which is this post-traumatic stress um, kind of therapy which is you you kind of you watch a, a little stick going back and forth. It's this thing about rapid eye movement desensitization. And you have to remember a specific moment of trauma whilst you're watching this thing going back and forth or tapping on either hand repetitively. And apparently this motion allows traumatic memory to move from sort of your body where you're kind of whenever I tried to remember Candy all I remembered was the way I felt when I stood in the room looking at her dying and that trauma into memory so into your brain so out of your body into your brain so then it becomes memory and it becomes less dangerous and less scary and you can start thinking about it without feeling it so I did a lot of that sort of work which was brilliant a lot of talking a lot of just sorting stuff out and I found the therapy completely indispensable. And I think I wouldn't be the human being, the parent, the friend, the wife I am today had I not had that. Because I was just I was just disassociating from everyone. I was just internalizing. And there was a glass wall between me and the rest of the world, it felt like, because I wasn't dealing with what I'd seen and what I'd experienced. Um, I don't know if you felt like that as well, Mark. Yeah, I think... <laughs> Familiar. I think I did. I think I did, to be honest. And I... Um you it's kind of I always say now you sort of build your own narrative don't you you know during the early years and then into your teens then into your 20s and I I I went and um spoke to a counsellor at Cruise when I was I think 26 and so it was you know it was quite a few years I was 12 when my dad died so it was a few years after that and and again you sort of you you like you you sort of unpack all these feelings all these emotions all these sort of you know and you you start to understand why you feel angry in certain ways on certain days and 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 um and so yeah it was hugely sort of cathartic and and helpful for me and but then again after that i i i thought oh i'm fine now <laughs> I, i've spoken to someone i'm i'm all good and and so yeah yeah and um and so when I, I guess my, in terms of your book, me writing an article for The Guardian in 2017 was my sort of way of um, delving into, you know, what had happened and newspaper clippings and really sort of, I guess, deep diving into the trauma. And um, and that was tough, you know, but, and I guess that kind of sort of, I guess, leading on to your book and how, how did you find that process? I know you've sort of briefly spoken already, but of just really dipping into it and and how how you felt at the end with that end sort of uh holding that book in your hand you know it's it was a, it was a kind of an amazing process and there were and it took a long time to write it took me five years and I would get frustrated during the process because I would think god I, ha I have something to say and I have this a skill I can write and I just found it incredibly hard to narrativize it and to make it make sense because it was so complex and there were some moments when I found the writing really overwhelming and I would get so sad and there were other moments where I found it really wonderful and clarifying and I felt like I had got it down and my my ambition I was really obsessed with Latin as a child weirdly and I still am actually really obsessed with Latin um, and I think the thing that I loved about it was that it was a very it's a very ordered language um, and it has it, it's kind of like a puzzle that you can unpick and the words and the order can turn something really 
horrible and scary. Like if you read Virgil's Aeneid, there's often really kind of awful, devastating moments in it, but they make it into something beautiful. Um, And that's what I wanted to achieve. I wanted to turn to sort of that alchemy of turning wild, chaotic, devastating personal experience into beautiful sentences. And that felt to me like a progress and me turning my experience into into art I guess if, without trying to sound too pretentious but that was my ambition and the days when I felt like I was doing that I felt very it felt very wonderful but it took a long time to get to that stage and then you know getting the book in my hand was also stressful and sometimes upsetting because I it's not just my story as well there's other there are other people who are involved and I I I gave it to a lot of people like pretty much I tried to give it to everyone who had been a part of the story who was still alive uh to read and my mother and I was scared of giving it to my mum because it's about her and her life and and things that she did that she's not always you know that are hard Uh, and she's a very sensitive person um so I was always a bit scared of that and I didn't want to upset her so that was quite an intense process but ultimately really wonderful and we really we got much closer and we were able to grieve about candy together which is something that we had never been able to do because I think grief grief doesn't always bring people together grief can really kind of put a kind of bring people apart as well or push people apart Uh, so that was really lovely and then, but ultimately, holding the book in my hand was a wonderful thing because I wrote it to bring Candy back to life in my heart and in my head. And then I brought her back to life also almost kind of for the world. Like she's on the cover of a book and that book is in shops and people read about it and people read about her and she comes alive in their imaginations. And that, I think, has been, makes me incredibly happy, you know, because we keep alive our loved ones through our memory and through talking about them and through engaging with them um, continually for the rest of our lives and so that they never really do pass for us. And and that's what I've tried to do with the book and I feel like I've achieved that. Uh, oh, you took, you took the words out of my mouth there. I was about... <laughs> About, I was literally about to say, you know, I mean, that's kind of why I keep talking about grief is because it's, it's a way of honouring my dad. It's a way of, you know, continuing his legacy and... and uh, and, and and hopefully in the process like you've done with your beautiful book is like just giving people permission to to maybe tell their story or share share you know the the memories like you say of their loved ones as well this episode is brought to you by visit williamsburg in williamsburg virginia there's never too much of a good thing whether you're a foodie a golfer a history buff a shopaholic an outdoor enthusiast or a thrill seeker You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And I think what's been really amazing about it is because one of the reasons that I felt I didn't want to tell people my story was because it was so bizarre and, and strange and, and, uh, and unique. And I thought, God, you know, no one else has. I remember saying to my therapist, you know, do you have you met anyone else who's had as many awful things happening to them and has, has had a hard life? And she was like, well, what do you want me to say? And I said, well, I want you to tell me I'm special. But what's been really, what's been really amazing is that having written the book and people reading it, 
so many people have got in touch. You've had really similar stories to mine. I was like, wow, that's amazing. I'm not alone. This has happened to other people. You know, other people have had crazy, uh, druggy, philandering dads who died and, and siblings who died in really intense circumstances. You know, I'm really not alone. And so for them, those people reading the book has made them feel less alone. And then they've contacted me and I felt less alone. So you find this community of people and you realize that everyone like most people have got some kind of scary, sad, upsetting, traumatic part of their lives that they're all we're hiding away in these little sort of internal spaces that we don't want to share because we think it's going to make other people not like us or judge us or think we're different. And whereas actually we should just all be sharing this stuff because then we'll realise that it's that's you know that's the most human, kind, um, authentic thing that we can do. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, something just struck me whilst you were talking, and and it's something that I can connect with as well. Is do your do your children know what happened to your sister? Or um... yeah, this I'm sure this is incredibly hard for you as well. This was really hard for me, especially when my you know my youngest daughter is now nine, which is how old Candy was when she died. And when I was working on the book, my older daughter was nine, and and I and I was like. How, and I didn't want Candy to become a family secret, which is, I think, what can really easily happen. Uh, but then I also, I kind of didn't know how to talk to my children about a little girl who died suddenly in the night. And I didn't want them to think of their aunt, Candy, and be scared because that's that could so easily have been the upshot of it. So what I decided to do is rather than talk about her death is to talk about her and every year we celebrate her birthday which is the 2nd of July by making a crazy cake which we call a candy cake so with the first year I did it I made this like massive sponge cake and then I took the girls to our local supermarket and I said you can buy any sweets that you want like literally go wild in the aisles fill up this trolley with all the sweets you want to buy you know I'm normally quite good normally it's like no no have an apple and they went completely nuts and they bought all this stuff and then we came back and I ice I made like three times the amount of icing you're meant to make pink ice because Candy loved pink she loved sweets and then I just let the girls like literally chuck jelly beans at this cake for about 20 minutes and like everything until it became the maddest looking like edifice this sort of like the the icing couldn't hold the amount of sweets and then we ate it and that was how we celebrated candy and now we do it every year and so now when they think of candy they think of a crazy little girl who loves pink loves loves cakes loves sweets and that's how they think of us so I sort of had to try and find a strategy for talking about candy to my daughters that would make them celebrate her rather than scared of her memory so that was that was difficult and that was my solution there but um and I'm sure it's difficult for you as well yeah no that's I love that way of doing it. <laughs> um actually I think it was like the year before last was the first time that we properly um I guess because normally on the day that he died it's 12th of May I I would you know, I'd probably go in on myself or I would kind of, you know, do my own thing. And and so, so actually through kind of a, a strange stroke of, uh, not luck really, but I sort of mentioned it. I said, oh guys, it's um, grandpa's anniversary tomorrow, the anniversary when he died. And, and actually Thea turned around and said, well, you know, on um, birthdays, we, we have pancakes. Um, should we have pancakes tomorrow morning? And should we, should we set a, a, a place for him at the table and uh 
And I was like, that's a, that's a lovely idea. And then Simone, through, through Winston's wish, I'd kind of heard of, you know, the uh, letting off balloons and tying a note to, to them. So so we did the pancakes and then we went in the afternoon, we went and set off some balloons and uh, and they each wrote a little note and tied it to the balloon. And um, so now that's kind of like a new sort of tradition, which like you with the cake is a, is a really lovely way of sort of, uh, you know, celebrating them and, and kind of, like you say, continuing the story and the conversation around keeping them relevant in everyday life. Mm -hmm. You know, not hiding. I think in the past when family members died, I I talked to Julia Samuel, who um, who I'm sure you know. Oh, yes, of course you did talk with her. Yeah, I had a chat with her the other day. I did an interview with her about, because one of the reasons that she became so interested in grief is she had many, many family members when she was growing up who died, but their stories were never told. So she said she had this really strange upbringing where all around this sort of house were these silver-framed black-and-white photographs of people who she knew were kind of a t- uh, part of her family but didn't know what their names were, didn't know their stories because no one talked about them. So it became like they, they were these ghosts inhabiting her world and she found it very odd. And I think I don't want Candy to be a ghost. I want her to be a sort of to have to be around and to be talked about. Yeah, I've heard Julia speak about that before. That's, um, you know, it's so true and uh which is where we are now in terms of you know 2021 i guess is is great that we can kind of be a bit more open it's probably why we're talking now um (laughs) so i i want to sort of kind of move on to your your dad really and obviously like you say was it 2009 that he died and which you know shortly after your daughter was born and and kind of you know how you how you navigated that grief and and um whether you sort of I guess throughout the the years and and you know having your the counselling sessions, whether that helped you at all. Um, it was really odd uh, because I hadn't had any counselling before Dad died, and I loved him so much, and was very sad. But it was almost like I instinctively knew how to grieve with him in a way that I hadn't with Candy. Um, and so I kind of after he died, very suddenly, as I said, I would do things like I wrote letters to him. I hung out with all his crazy mates. We, we told stories about him. I made photo albums of him. I did all the things that you're kind of meant to do. And I allowed myself to be sad. And I kind of moved through the phases of the grief without even really knowing that I was doing the things that I was meant to do. And, and as a result of that, as opposed to Candy, who I had no memories of, like my memories of my dad are so kind of pin sharp. I can summon him uh, if I need him into my brain I can sort of ask him a question I sort of bring him to life really easily but he I mean but by the same token you know I had spent much more time with him he was such an influential part of my life and he is a he was a very larger than life character so in that way he was quite easy to sort of summon into life but um so it, it wasn't that I'd been given I'd been given the sort of the pathway of how to grieve with my dad but I kind of it's almost like I instinctively knew what to do. And as a result of it, he's definitely, I, I kind of, I did my grieving for him at the time that he died rather than with Candy, where I, it was almost like it took me 30 years before I was able to start grieving for Candy. Um, but I mean, I suppose what was hard with my dad's death was the fact that, again, it was this sort of sudden traumatic in the middle of the night um sort of death unexpected death um and it had taken me a long time with candy to not be scared anymore because 
she had died so suddenly and I felt like well that means I could die really suddenly you know people say oh don't worry everything's going to be fine and I was like well that's not true I was a real catastrophist so I was like well that's not clearly not true because I've seen it happen that people can die suddenly in the night and and that is my reality and so I was always really scared that that would happen to me and I used to have loads of panic attacks and have to be taken to the hospital because I thought I couldn't breathe and I was dying and I sort of got worked through that you know I'd lived long enough to think okay maybe I'm not going to die in the night but then when it happened to dad that sort of brought all that back up again quite intensely for me and then and, and that was part of the therapy that I went on to do and then funnily enough and I think I've now sort of got beyond that and the therapy has been super useful um, because I remember say at the beginning of COVID I suddenly got very freaked out because both my sister and my dad died of not being able to breathe and when I was reading the initial reports about you know people dying of COVID I was like god this is really horrible and familiar and I started to feel symptoms and I couldn't work out whether it was me having a panic attack or me actually having COVID and then also the other thing that I was so sad about was that people were not allowed to grieve or were unable to grieve properly because they couldn't have funerals and they couldn't get together and it just felt so sad all these people who were not able who were just kind of not permitted to do the things that you know, we need to do as human beings to to share our grief with other people who love the people that have gone. Um, but then I guess that the kind of what I learned via Candy was that it's never really too late. You can, if you can't, if you are unable to do the grieving now, you can, it's always available to you. You know, those pro, you can start that process when you can get together and you have the emotional and energy to do it. It's never too late to grieve. I think <laughs> no that's so true and I think that's why yeah on my sort of social media I sort of talk it's just because you're you know like for me 29 years later you know it doesn't mean I don't still have these feelings you know they might be easier to live with and, and easier to wear as I say but um you you kind of yeah it's never too late like you say um I just want to move on to some questions from the children at children's bereavement charity Winston's Wish and they would love to know, how do you make yourself feel happy when you're feeling sad? Um, well, I'm not going to say vodka and tonic because obviously that's not something they can do. Um, I just do the things that I love doing. So I will go for a walk outside. I will have a piece of Marmite on toast. I will make myself a cup of tea and read a book. I think it's just like remembering the really simple things that make you happy. And also happiness is simple. It's not complicated. And I think you can't be sad for a really long time it's always it's kind of in waves isn't it and so as long as you give yourself little nice fun things that take you out of yourself like go for a nice walk look at a beautiful picture listen to a song sing along do something silly dance then you have a moment of happiness and then you know that always gives you the energy if you need to feel sad again it's sort of I think grief is an up and down movement so yeah so it's just doing really simple things that I know make me happy which is generally food and book related. Uh, so. <laughs> Two great things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, the, the next one is, what piece of music reminds you of your sister or your father? Um, well, so my sister loved the film Dirty Dancing. She was obsessed with it. 
so and at her funeral we played the song I've had the time of my life which was uh the kind of a theme tune for dirty dancing so that song really reminds me of Candy and then uh there's a song that really reminds me of my dad which is a song by the Rolling Stones which is Fool to Cry um which is sort of Mick Jagger sort of talking to his daughter almost uh in the song and that and dad loved the Rolling Stones and so that song and you know Mick Jagger's a bit of a um bohemian character as well in his personal life shall we say so that song kind of reminds me and that kind of slightly complicated relationship between father and a daughter that he would have had with his children um reminds me of my dad and makes me feel sad and happy at the same time which is I think how those songs make you feel because kind of music is so transporting that it's almost too good like it can sort of really you know, make the emotions kind of all come to the surface and you sort of, you want it, but then it's quite overwhelming. So it makes me, that song in particular, makes me sort of sad and happy all at once. Yeah, that's the power of music, isn't it? It could yeah. take you one way or the other, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay, the next one is, what do you do to remember your sister or your dad on the important days across the year? Well, so I've talked about with Candy, the candy cake, um, but also I think looking at photographs is really important and talking to people. Um, so just like giving a call to someone who knew and loved the person who you loved and has gone and just like just remembering some funny, silly stories. I think what's really important with grief is not to sort of dwell in the sort of the sadness of it, but just remember why the funny, crazy, silly, embarrassing things that people did, the things that they made you laugh or the jokes or whatever. So just to kind of talk to someone else about them and remember why they were so mad and funny. I, I did that with my mum about my sister and it was really wonderful because you'll always hear new stuff as well. Like, you know, you don't know everything about a human being. So, yeah, so but photos, I think, are really incredible. Uh, kind of having, having photo albums we don't make photo albums anymore I think it's a real shame all our photos are on our phones and I think we need to print them out and put them into albums so we can actually look at them look at physical objects yeah photos are great we've got I've still got a load of old photos and uh, actually Thea last night it's quite funny actually she was like you know that box that you've got of stuff when you were younger and I was like yeah she's like well can we can we have a look through them and I was like really you want to do that she was like yeah I said, okay, maybe tomorrow we can we can have a look through. But that's kind of, you know, we talked earlier about legacy and stuff, but that's just a lovely way, isn't it? Of the... Yeah, just to keep those boxes around, like not hidden away. Like there's a metaphor for, you know, you, you, we put stuff away in boxes inside ourselves, but, you know, we also do it externally as well. You know, we have these boxes of stuff that are hidden in attics or stuffed at the back of cupboards. You know, have those things out so your children can open them and look at them without having to sort of get a face full of dusty, you know, old stuff up in the, the yeah. top of an attic how old is your daughter so she's six oh wow okay. gosh yeah yeah no she sounds very sophisticated she really is she, she i don't know where she gets it i think she's been here before that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> um okay the next one is what three things are you most thankful for at the moment gosh Three things. I'm thankful for loads of things. Well, I'm thankful that right now the sun is shining and my garden looks really lovely. I'm thankful for my children 
because they are now old enough to entertain themselves. And I find that really wonderful that they're here, that they're lovely and they're fun, but that I can also now sort of read a book. Is that an okay thing to be thankful for? Um, And I'm thankful for the fact that it's August and tomorrow we're driving to Cornwall and we're going to go to a beach. And I haven't been in the sea this year, um, or in fact, for about a year. And I really want to go for a swim in the sea because I love the sea. So those are three things I'm thankful for. (laughs) They're lovely three things and I'm jealous on the last one, I must admit. Yeah. Cornwall's beautiful. Um, Okay, one thing that I do like to end on, and sometimes it's a difficult one, but if you could sit down with your sister for one final time and Mm. say something to her, what do you think you might like to say? Oh gosh, that is really hard. I suppose I'd like to say that I'd like to apologise for not thinking about her for so long. Like, I feel um, sad that, because it's funny, she was nine and I was 14, and, and, you know, siblings don't have a particularly powerful bond at that age, or we didn't. And and I'm sad that we didn't get to grow up and I didn't get to meet her as a a grown-up and we didn't get to, you know, my children didn't have an, an aunt, a fun, crazy, cool aunt. So I suppose... I would say I'm sorry that I've forgotten about her and I'd love to, you know, see what she would be like as a grown-up. I would just love to know what she'd be like as a grown-up. That's one of the saddest things, I think. Yeah, that's lovely. And um, Gavanda, I just want to say a huge thank you for speaking with me today, sharing your story with my listeners, um, writing your beautiful book and sharing it with the world. And uh, yeah, just a big thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been really lovely.